Let's pray. Father, I pray that you give our church settled joy in these uncertain times. May your spirit attend your word, and I pray that you would come close to us to comfort us and to give us strength in our time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, saints. It's a joy to preach to you again from God's word. We can look around and know that we are, in fact, in uncertain times. It's not hard to see if you look at the news as Gavin Newsom has extended the shelter in place further than many of us even expected. If you look at the headlines and see in many major cities, there's mile-long lines of cars going to food banks. In fact, in the past six weeks, it's said to be over 30 million people have filed for unemployment in America. Not only nationally is there uncertainty, but here at home, we are going on, if I counted correctly, our eighth week of not having church, of being scattered. That takes its toll. I know that I'm feeling it. I'm sure you are as well. A personal toll was even seen by my, my own two eyes on our conference call this last Wednesday as I saw Bob and Priscilla look at their great-grandson James and, and be overwhelmed by not being able to see him, to pinch his cheeks, to hold him. That certainly brought sorrow to my heart and made me think, Lord, help us. We are certainly in uncertain times. This is not how it ought to be. I know that many of you are feeling that. Well, in the midst of these uncertain times as Christians, we can hear the clarion call from Scripture call out to us and give us settled joy. We don't have to wallow in uncertainty or be tossed to and fro by the circumstances of this fallen world, but we can, as Christians, hear the call for settled joy in Scripture. And that's the message I want to bring to you this morning from the book of Habakkuk. Now, you might be surprised, why are we in Habakkuk and not Hebrews? Kurt, did you open up to the wrong H book? No, we're in Habakkuk this morning, taking a brief hiatus from Hebrews, but it's not completely non sequitur. In the last chapter that we studied in Hebrews, the call was to move beyond the milk of the word from immaturity to maturity, to go beyond elementary doctrines and to grow in our grasp of scripture, our knowledge of God, and our maturity in the word, to eat well. Habakkuk is a great test case for us to see if we will indeed do that. If you ever tried to read through the book of Habakkuk on your own, it's not necessarily milk. It's not easy. It's not as accessible as many of the other books in the New Testament. But I submit to you that whenever we have to dig a little harder, study more, we can find beautiful jewels and treasures from the Word of God. Habakkuk is just as inspired as the book of Hebrews or the book of James or the book of Philippians. In my biblical counseling class, we were exhorted to not have a practical, thin counseling manual, but to have the whole counsel of God opened up to us so that we can deliver God's word and help people through all of the complexities of life. How thick is your biblical counseling handbook? Do you turn to Genesis 1.1, John 3.16, Philippians 4 in times of trouble? I pray you do. But I pray that your functional biblical counseling handbook is the whole counsel of God and not just those well-known verses. I pray that the book of Habakkuk, even if it's not as accessible, can be a counsel and a great help in your time of need. I want to encourage you right now, if you haven't already, pause the video 
and read through these three short chapters of Habakkuk on your own. And I assure you that you will probably not understand everything on the first pass, and that's okay. As I walk through these verses, my intent is to do a survey of the book, to pull out the key verses and ideas so that we can see the sweep of what God did in Habakkuk's time so that we can have settled joy in our uncertain times. Go ahead and open up the book of Habakkuk to chapter one. We see that Habakkuk certainly faced uncertain times. To give you a little bit of background, he was a prophet of God during the reign of King Jehoiakim, who was king over Judah in its last decades of existence before Jerusalem fell to Babylon, or the Chaldeans, as it says here. Um, They're synonymous. And God's people were taken away into captivity. So certainly a lot of anxiety on the rise and hard times for Habakkuk on the way. There's much we can learn from his reflections upon God and his current events as we assess ours. What I want us to see this morning from the book of Habakkuk is that we don't need to stay in anxious uncertainty about the coronavirus or about layoffs or about anything else going on in our lives. But we as Christians can hold on to the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can have a settled joy. How do we get this? The thesis of the sermon is because of God's victorious justice, his victorious justice as we see in Habakkuk, our anxious laments can turn to settled songs of joy. Because of God's victorious justice, we can bring God our anxious laments and have them turned into settled songs of joy. I so badly want that for you, my beloved. I love you very much, my church family, and I want nothing more than for you to say, God is enough. God is my strength during these times. I want you to know who God is very practically in your situation. We see in in chapter one here, First, Habakkuk's anxious lament. Look at verse one. The oracle of Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. So these are Habakkuk's words, but they're also given to Habakkuk by God. And so God has ordained this lament. So what do we see in verse two? O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. O, or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Habakkuk's calling out to the Lord. Lord, Help us. Why are you not saving your people? And this is what he saw. Look at verse 3. He saw destruction and violence, strife and contention. This is internally, within Judah, within God's own people, he saw crazy corruption. And why was that? Well, the reason why corruption always arises. Look at verse 4. Because the law was paralyzed. The law was paralyzed and justice didn't go forth. Every time, saints, the law of God, the Bible is not obeyed. If there's another standard that's put in place by any nation, whether it's Judah or America, when we start to build upon a different foundation than the law of God, corruption will eventually ensue. And that is certainly what was happening in his time. So he was right to cry out to God, God, save us, help us. Your law is paralyzed. Look at God's response to Habakkuk. He doesn't give him a quick relief here, but instead he gives him an unexpected response. Look at verses five through seven. 
God responds to Habakkuk, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Habakkuk says, things are bad, God. And God says, you know what, Habakkuk, things are going to get much worse. I'm going to bring this foreign army to come in and to humble the nation. This may not be what you expected, Habakkuk, but it is what I'm going to do. You see Habakkuk's response to the Lord in verses 12 and 13. Look with me. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, O my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk looks at what God is going to do, and he says, God, this seems unjust. Why are you sending people more wicked than us to oppress the wickedness that is already there? Isn't this multiplying wickedness? God, I know you to be a rock. I know you to be a holy one. Why are you doing these things? So it becomes evident that Habakkuk's response to internal injustice and the threat of external injustice and the uncertain times he's in, his, his response is to lament before the Lord. Now, saints, we can relate, not to the same scale or degree. By God's grace, we are, are still, many of us, we are, we are still able to eat food. There is still some semblance of justice in our courts and so things might not be quite as bad, and we don't, we don't have the looming fear of an invader coming upon us this very week. Now, it, it could come in the future, but we don't have this same sort of threat of an invasion happening right, right, uh, right in front of us. So we say, how can, how can we, in our issue, how can we, when we look around and we see the lack of justice in our nation, when we see uncertain times with the coronavirus and not knowing when we're going to have our economy or our church opened up again, how can we respond to God in a way that honors him and that brings us help? And the answer is given to us. It's lament. Notice here that Habakkuk doesn't respond in pride and he doesn't respond in internalizing his, his frustration But instead, he comes to God humbly, and he vents his frustration to God in a way that is, that God has ordained, in a way that can actually bring him help. Now, the concept of a biblical lament is oftentimes lost upon us, but we see here a few things about it. One, it's God-given. This is an oracle given to Habakkuk, and so this isn't just some prophet complaining by himself in a selfish, sinful way, but this is something given to Habakkuk by God to pray back to him. So God has already given his stamp of approval upon this type of prayer. And why is this honoring? Well, one, it's personal. Note that he doesn't say, how could God allow evil? He doesn't address God impersonally, but he addresses him personally. He says, O Lord, my God, in verse 12. Also, he doesn't have Uh, faithlessness in terms of God's character, but he puts forth 
The fact that in verse 13, God is of purer eyes than to see evil. He still has faith and believes in God's true character. Note that this lament is also God honoring because it comes in humility. He's not saying, God, I know better than you, but he's saying, God, there's so much iniquity around me that I am helpless. I am at the end of my tether. God, I need you to come and intervene and help. He says it humbly. This week, Gwen has been lamenting to me, Dad, when is this restriction going to be lifted? When can we go back? And I'm thankful that Gwen has been lamenting to me. Because as a child, she wants her community, she wants her church back, she wants her her family, her extended family, to be able to, to see them again. And I'm glad that Gwen isn't responding to this in internal anxiety or external blame. Because both of those things would be sinful and self-destructive to her. But instead, by vocalizing her frustration and her concern to me, by lamenting to me, she's able to say, Dad, I I don't know when this thing will end. When will it? Please help. And even though I might not have the answer for her, by vocalizing that to me, I'm able to pray with her and bring her comfort and remind her that our trust needs to be in the Lord. I'm sure as many of you saw the food lines going to these food pantries that are miles long, I'm sure you have lamented the unemployment and the turn our economy is taking. Some of you might even be wondering whether you'll have a job next week. So this would be a very appropriate time for us saints to learn the art of lament. Ask yourself, do you have this type of prayer in your biblical toolkit? Or when you have problems, or when there is uncertainty and anxiety on the horizon, do you you respond in pride? I can overcome this on my own strength, or frustration, God, how could you? Do you respond in those ways? Or do you know, can you see Habakkuk's prayer and make it your own? Can you say, with Habakkuk, God, will you not hear, as he says in verse 2, God, how will you allow the wicked to oppress the righteous? God, where are you in my time of trouble? Not believing that he can't intervene, but just not knowing how he will exactly intervene in history. We must learn the art of lament if we are to honor God and actually deal with the uncertainty and frustrations of this fallen world. Do you also trust God that sometimes after we pray, he ordains it that things get worse instead of get better. Habakkuk looked at his internal corruption and said, God, what are you going to do? And God said, I'm bringing a foreign oppressor. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Do you trust that God works that way oftentimes? That when you pray a prayer and it isn't immediately answered to the affirmative, when things seem to get worse, that that is God still at work in your situation? We see from the book of Habakkuk that we can certainly trust God in the fact that he often does work that way. So what do we do after we lament? After we lament, tension still exists. We haven't, we pour pour out our cry to God. And so what are we to do next? Well, chapter two tells us that we are to wait and trust in God's victorious justice. Turn with me to chapter two. We see in verse 1, 
Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk in verse one is saying, I will stand on the watchtower and I will wait for God's response. And then God brings his response to Habakkuk in verses two and three. He says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. And then he tells him, that this response given by God will be accepted in two very different ways. In verse four, it says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So either people will hear God's response to the injustice and uncertainty with pride being puffed up, or the righteous shall live by his faith. We will accept God's response for whatever may come with faith, knowing that he is wise. What is God's response to the injustice Habakkuk sees? Well, we see here in verses six and seven that it is ultimately a woe. It's a woe that the oppressed people of God are to call out and cry out to their oppressors to bring justice in the face of apparent injustice. Look with me at verses six and seven. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Verse eight, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. So we see here that God promises to Judah, he promises to God's people, that although they will be plundered by Babylon, by the Chaldeans, ultimately they will again plunder Babylon. That in their captivity, they are to use these woes these calls of justice to call out to their oppressor to remind them who is actually on the throne and that justice will ultimately be served. That is God's response. Now, it doesn't end there with them taunting their oppressors and saying that God will win in the end. God actually tells them how he will win. Look at verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So we have a future promise that ultimately Babylonians might win the battle, but God will win the war. And even the oppression by the Babylonians is the means by which God uses to bring about the knowledge of his glory worldwide. God uses the oppression to bring about his justice and glory and fame on the earth. So we have a future hope. Habakkuk has a future hope he can cling to, but not just in the future, but in the present as well. Look at God's response to him in chapter two, verses 19 and 20. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So God responds to Habakkuk's cry, his lament, by reminding Habakkuk that not only will God be victorious in the end, but he will bring justice 
and victory in the present as well. This will happen not by sight, not by the way that Habakkuk wants it to, but it will happen by faith in the unexpected way that God often brings his victory. So we have much to learn from God's response here. God was not only victorious and just in the time of Habakkuk, in the time of Judah, but he is still victorious and just today. Right now, saints, God is calling you to wait and to live by faith. He's calling you in these uncertain times to not immediately have all your problems resolved, but to wait for his response to your prayers, to wait to see how his glory will be revealed, to wait to see how he will respond to us and how he will answer us in these times of affliction. And we are called to live by faith. We are reminded that when there is evil in the world, whether it be corrupt corrupt governments or evil viruses that are products of the fall, they will all ultimately be overthrown. The common theme in these five woes given to Babylon in chapter two are woes that can be given to every type of Babylon throughout history. We know in the book of Revelation that John talks about Babylon being the great harlot and Babylon isn't just a unique, unique people in history, but they are used throughout the New Testament to be a type of the evil nations that will constantly be ruling throughout history that God's people must come up against. And so we know that whatever Babylons there might be today, whatever evil or unjust groups who try to oppress God's people, they will all ultimately be overthrown. We can take great heart, saints, knowing that God's justice will be revealed and it will reign. Whatever oppression seems to be upon God's people now will ultimately one day be overthrown. We saints must, like Habakkuk did, by faith take great hope in God's final victory and his present reign as well. Does the promise of verse 14 stir you to your soul? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. I pray that as you consider that end, that great final victory of the Lord, you can, with that end in mind, interpret all of the things happening in in your life, all of the things happening in history, and know that somehow, God will resolve all those unresolved tensions finally in his ultimate eschatological victory. We can take great hope in that God wins the day. Not that he will one day win, but verse 20 tells us that even now, God is, on, is in his holy temple, on his throne, and therefore the whole earth must keep silent before him. This silence is applicable both to the oppressors, to the evil and wicked of the earth. They must silent, silence their loud boasting and taunting of God's people. The God will silence all of God's people's enemies. But also this silence before the throne of God is also applicable to us as God's people as well. But our silence is different. It's not a silence of loud boasting, but it is a silence of knowing that we are before the face of God. That we can know and have a settled 
peace in our soul, knowing that even though there seems to be a wicked power that is hurting God's people, we can know that God is still working out the circumstances and events in history to bring about final victory. That through the oppression, through the injustice, God brings redemption and restoration in the gospel in unlikely ways that we only by faith must see. I pray, saints, that you have faith both in God's future victory and his present reign. Have you ever, like me, spoiled a movie for someone or a show? Unfortunately, one of Yasmin's good friends, Crystal, uh, was asking about Downton Abbey a few years ago, and I have watched that show, and I accidentally slipped and told her the, the conclusion to what, how season two concluded. And she was upset because she wanted to watch it, and she wanted to feel the tension herself and have it resolved by the show. Have you ever been in my shoes and accidentally spoiled a movie or a show for someone? Hopefully not too often, and you've learned from your mistake. A question that comes up for us is that why do we want to feel the tension in a movie? We don't want it spoiled. We don't want quick, quick relief. But in real life, we want immediate relief. We want to know the end of the movie. Why is it that we want that tension to be built up for us in a movie, but in everyday life, we want immediate relief? And saints, I think sadly the answer to that is that because we do not trust the ending of everyday life. Because we do not trust the ending that God has spoiled for us already, that the knowledge of his glory will fill the earth, that he wins in the end, because we don't trust that ending, we want to know what will happen in the immediate time. We want to be able to control and know all circumstances right now. We don't want there to be any tension. We want to have everything always go our way and things to be smooth because we lack faith in the end of the story. You need to ask yourself, and we all need to ask ourselves, are we walking by faith, as Habakkuk 2.4 says? Do you believe in God's firm promises, the unshakable posts that God has put up in history, the fact that he is currently reigning, and that one day he will be victorious? Do you have such trust in those signposts and God's promises by faith that when something unexpected like the coronavirus comes, you're able to handle it and go with the flow and not allow it to shake your world because you have certainty of what God has done, is doing, and what will finally do one day? Or has your faith in God's promises, his, his certain signposts, has that faith so faltered that you, you have tried to erect your own senses of surety and certainty in your own life that you have put your faith in little signposts of your own income, of your own job, of your own idols. And you have said, oh, I'm going to put my faith in these things so that whenever the uncertainty comes, whenever the trials comes, those things shake and falter and you are left hopeless. What Habakkuk calls us to, brothers and sisters, and what God is calling us to is to have such an existential trust and faith in who we are in light of God's big, grand story. We are not tossed to and fro by uncertain times, but we can say God's up to something. 
I don't know exactly how he will resolve it, but the same way that I enjoy a good movie where there's tension in the middle, I can walk through the tension now knowing that it will finally be resolved. It is only up to me to play a faithful character, to play a faithful role in God's grand story. We need to have the same, same trust that Habakkuk had, that ultimately idols will not win the day. We need to ask ourselves in what ways, in verse 19, have we fashioned things with gold and silver and tried to put breath into things to give us life that have no breath in them at all? A few that come to mind for our nation are science and technology. You hear oftentimes in the news that we say, we're going to make a science-based decision. Well, science is a very good tool if used properly within the Christian worldview. But science by itself, if it's, if it's divorced from God, can be idolized. And when you look to science as your God, it will, as verse 19 said, it will have no breath in it at all. Yes, it can still be accurate and factual, but it will not address your deepest spiritual needs. It will, it will ultimately not give you the hope that you desire. Also with technology, just the same way they overlaid wood with gold and silver, we overlay our smartphones and our computers in, in skins of, of silver and gold plating. And we look to them, we look at our screens for life and for joy and for hope. And sadly, saints, ultimately, many times what we find there is hopelessness. And we find that uh, what we see there is, is selfishness. And people who have, who have turned to their idols, reminding us of the, the great injustices in the world. Now, when we turn to those things, ultimately, it's like we are turning inward on ourselves, Rather than picking our eyes up and looking to the solid truths and signposts of God's promises, when we look and are consumed by the idols and look for life in our screens, when we look for ultimate satisfaction and joy there, more often than not, those are the things that bring us sadness and that bring us even more uncertainty, even though we look for joy in them. Now, what is the result of living by faith? The result of living by faith, saints, is that we can have a settled joy. Now, you might ask, in light of Habakkuk 2.4, it says, the righteous shall live by faith. If we know ourselves, we know that on our own efforts, we are not righteous. And so, how are we to have the certainty that God will not judge us like the oppressors, that he will be on our side, and that he will indeed vindicate us, that we can have a settled joy and be counted righteous by God. The hope for us, saints, comes through faith. Look with me at chapter 3. We can live by faith, and we can be counted righteous, because, as chapter 3, verse 13 says, that God goes out for the salvation of his people, for the salvation of his anointed. Habakkuk in chapter three is able to sing for joy. His lament is, is able to turn to song because he knows that it's not his own merits that make him righteous before God, 
but he knows that God is faithful to his covenant people, and ultimately God will bring the salvation of his people through the salvation of his anointed. The reality, saints, is that oftentimes we are overcome with fear and anxiety, that we have allowed the uncertainties of this world to throw us off our foundation, to, to shatter our faith. And yet, it's then that we can have hope that God can still save us and that we can have a song of joy, that we can bring our lament to the Lord and he can give us joy. How does this take place? We're reminded here from Habakkuk's prayer in verse 8, it says that was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord, was your anger against the rivers, your indignation against the sea, when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation. Habakkuk looks back and he remembers the exodus. He looks back and sees how God split the seas and saved his people. Saints, our response, how our lament can turn into a song of praise is we, when, when we look back to, not only to the exodus, but ultimately to the cross. We not only look forward to know that God will be victorious, but we, when we look back, we remember that God has rode on his chariot of salvation by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world. The certain son of God who came into history to cause his people to be saved, to gather in his elect, and to save us from our sin, to save us from our worry, and to turn our song of lament into a song of joy. God takes us in our lamenting. He takes us in our anxiety, and he brings us, he brings to our mind his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, salvation is available for you. Now, how does this take place? It's through the salvation, as verse 13 says, you're anointed. Who is the anointed? It's the Messiah. It's the Christ, the anointed chosen one who will bring about the salvation for his people. Jesus Christ was given an even more uncertain time than Judah or America today. Jesus Christ was given the uncertainty of the cross. Even though he knew the outcome, he didn't functionally know how devastating the wrath of God would feel until he actually felt it. When he lamented, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ brings his lament to the Father. And he does it so that our lament can turn to joy. On the cross, Jesus Christ took your sin he took my sin. He took all of our injustice, all of the ways that we haven't allowed the law to be active in our lives, all of the ways that we have not functionally trusted God in uncertainty. And he's taken our sin, and he died for it. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He died for us, and then he rose from the grave three days later, showing that in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of the worst oppression, an even worse oppressor than the Babylonians, death itself would be overcome. Look at the second half of verse 13. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Who's the head of the house of the wicked? It is death. 
it is Satan. Satan is the head of the house of the wicked, and death is his primary tool. And you know what? Through the cross, God crushes the head of the house of the wicked. Just as Genesis 3.15 predicted that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, Habakkuk is remembering that God does that for his people, and we can look back upon the cross and remember that God has crushed the head of the wicked. So we no more need to fear injustice or oppressors or even the uncertainty of death. But we can know that Christ has, has dealt death, the final death knell. He has put to death, death itself, so that although we die for our sin because we are in Adam, we know ultimately that will lead to everlasting life because he had defeated death with his resurrection we can have the great hope that we will be raised from the dead too, to one day see the reality of chapter two, verse, verse 14, that we will see the reality one day of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covering the earth, and we will take part in that knowledge of his glory as well. Knowing what Christ has done for us changes everything. It enables us to sing along with Habakkuk in verses 16 and 17. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon us, uh, come upon people who invade us. It allows us to say with Habakkuk that although I look at my present circumstances and I tremble, even if I'm in the midst of a panic attack, because I know what Christ my anointed has done for me, because all of the uncertainty, the things are out of my control, he is in control over, I can have my trembling be quieted. And I can say, may the people invade me. May the worst times come. May things get worse before they get better. Bring it on. Because I know that ultimately God will bring about redemption and restoration and he will prove himself to be glorious in the midst of uncertainty. When we understand that Christ is victorious and we are hidden and safe in him, we can sing along with Habakkuk as verse 17 says, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut down from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Or if we want to put that in our modern vernacular, although the food lines be long, although I might lose my job, although I might face hunger myself, although I might not be able to come to my church and meet with my people, yet we can say, along with Habakkuk in verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember that we are not the author of our own lives. We already have a great author, and that's Jesus Christ. When we hand over our pretend pen to Jesus and rem remember that he is the author of our lives, of this moment in history, just as he was the author over Judah, 
when we hand over that pen of authorship, we can begin to take joy in the author. We can begin to take joy in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can say, although everything crumbles, although everything falls apart, I know my Savior, and He is what I need most. And if I know Him, I have everything, and I have every reason to rejoice, because I have God. I have the one, I'm right with the one, I'm forgiven by the one who created my life, who created this world, who is writing history and is bringing it about all the details to his glorious end. We can say along with Charles Spurgeon, when I'm in the cellar of affliction, I look for the Lord's choicest wines. You don't have to be a wine connoisseur to know that good wine is often kept in cellars where it's dark and cool so it doesn't spoil. When you feel like you are in the cellar of affliction, many of you I know might to some degree feel like you are in a type of cellar of affliction right now. You feel brought low. You feel darkness surrounding you spiritually. When you are there, don't complain in pride. Lament in trust. Look for the Lord's choicest wines there and trust that whenever all the other lights are turned out that you used to hope in, the shining light of Jesus Christ will become even clearer than ever. The beauty of being a true Christ follower is being able to say, if I have Christ, the whole world may turn its back on me. Every other source of happiness and joy and even strength might fail. And yet when that happens, I'm able to show through my life that God is my ultimate strength and that he is enough. Not only is he, is he enough, but he is even more powerful and more sufficient than all the idols of the world and all the other supplementary things we try to add to our faith to give us strength. Church, do you know God in this way? Has Christ become such a light to you that when all other lights go out, when all other hopes fail, when there's uncertainty of how much longer we have to wait to be together, when there's uncertainty of your job next week, when those uncertainties loom, does the certainty of Jesus Christ's victory on the cross for you, does that come clear into your eyes of faith? Habakkuk shows us how we are able to have all of our uncertainty resolved in settled joy. He shows us the path to get there. It's not an easy path, but the question for us this morning is will we take the path? Will we pour out our hearts in lament to God? Will we bring our anxieties before him in God-honoring lament, asking God, how are you acting? Where are you? We need you, Lord. Will we lament? Will we then allow our lament to wait in a trusting way, be reminded of God's certain just victory, both in the end and his current victorious reign? Will we trust in that and allow his victory over our enemies and over sin in our own lives to result in a settled song of praise.
Just as Habakkuk says in verse 19, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This same lightness. If you've ever seen a deer, you know how quick they are to flee and how light they are on their feet. Even on the crags of Rocky Mountains, they are light on their feet. You saints right now can have that same lightness of knowing that if you have trusted in Christ and repented of your sin, God is in your corner. That he is writing your story and he is writing the great story of history to bring about his glory in your good. Hand over that pen of authorship of your own life. It's not yours in the first place. Trust that Christ is bringing about all uncertainty for his glory and your good. Let us pray along with Habakkuk that God would show himself to be just and victorious in our times of uncertainty. Let's pray. We need you, Lord. We know and we are humbled by the fact that whatever is happening in America right now is not as hard as what was happening in Judah 2,500 years ago. And yet, our fears are not fake. We don't know what tomorrow will hold. We don't know the, the future of our own livelihood. We don't know the future of our own country. And what we do know is that the knowledge of your glory will cover this earth just as the waters cover the sea. I pray that you would cause our church's identity be, to be so wrapped up in you, to have such trust that whatever apparent injustice we see will be resolved in the end, and that you were seated on your throne, that we can say that despite whatever hardship we might face, we will rejoice in the Lord. Do that by your spirit. It's only by your spirit that we can. In Jesus' name, amen.